Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bonjam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonjam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bonjam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bonjam. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the Tilly to my Jill Masterson. It's Mr. James Turner. <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to go for this time. Uh, hello, Simon. Hello, James. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm ready to ready to go. And uh, what are we talking about today? Talking about Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Um, yeah. So um, it's perhaps the most popular of the Sean Connery films in terms of popular culture. Well, I'm going to jump straight into it. I'm just going to ask you, what do you think it was about, James? Can you describe the plot? Okay, so um, Bond's there to investigate gold smuggling. So that's all he initially knows. And then uh, it turns out a much bigger plot, which is for Goldfinger to raid Fort Knox, which he thinks is then to steal the gold. And then once he discovers what his true plan is, it's actually to destroy Fort Knox, I think with like with an atomic bomb. His plan is to irradiate the gold at mm-hmm. Fort Knox, not just yeah. to destroy the building, but to make the gold radioactive and therefore unusable and therefore worthless. Yes. Meaning there's less gold in the world, meaning his gold is more valuable. Yes. So, really, it's just about money. It's the quite an inspired day. plan. Yeah. Um, what do you think of this film, James? Um... I think it's the most accessible Sean Connery film. Yes. And I think that's why it often comes up in those top lists. I suppose because, unlike Thunderball or You Only Live Twice or the ones that come later that include Blofeld, you don't need prior knowledge of who that character is. No. Um, This was very much uh, a break from the Spectre storyline. And I almost see it as a bit of almost like a Bond on vacation special you know yeah 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 it's kind of a little momentary pause in what has been albeit quite loose continuity so far but this you don't need to know any of that so you can imagine people at the time sort of saying oh you've got to come see goldfinger it's amazing and be like oh well, i haven't seen the other two yeah. like you don't have to yeah. you don't have to see anything it almost sets up the character and everything you need to know within this film yeah and it's not just the characters the whole formula of the bond series to come Yes, and I think this film does represent a turning point in cementing certain things as true James Bond formula for many years to come. Yeah. What are some of those things, do you think? So, um, big thing was the theme tune, um, because obviously we've got Matt Monroe in From Russia With Love, but it wasn't really used in the title sequences at the start, we only hear it at the end. Then you've got the, the gadgets particularly, obviously we were introduced to a few gadgets information with love but this is taken a step further particularly with the aston martin db5 and those over-the-top henchmen and villains so you got odd job with his trademark bowler hat yes i think it represents the point where they pushed reality slightly further away yeah it's it has a slightly camper approach as well yeah light-hearted and much more humor as well yes maybe that's due to a new director the first change of director of the series with Guy Hamilton taking over from Terence Young. And right from the start, I think he sets out to set the tone with the seagull on the head. Again, we we talked about it in our Gadgets episode briefly, but realistically, you'd be better off just swimming underwater and not being seen. So right away, when you see a seagull on on someone's head, you say, okay, I'm getting an idea of what sort of film this is. Yeah. And then we've got that cool, slick introduction to Bond. 
he takes his wetsuit off and he's got a suit underneath and all the way through you're just thinking this is going to be fun yeah this film i think really introduced the idea that the pre-title sequence can be a little bit of fun nonsense before the story even begins so he's on a different mission there yeah to destroy um these containers it's nice to know that Bond does other missions other than the ones we see. Yeah, yeah. And so we just caught the tail end of that one. Yeah. But when the explosion goes off, his reaction is priceless. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. A day at the office. He, he then claims he has some unfinished business or, or something. Yeah. And he heads back into a back room where a girl, the first girl of the film, is waiting for him. And it's almost like they pick up something that they they left earlier on that we didn't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes in and he hangs up his gun, and they just start kissing straight away. Mm -hmm. But, lo and behold, it's a trap. Yeah. Because he sees in the reflection of her eye an approaching thug with a stick. Yep. And they have a fight. And the woman does the sort of typical reaction of those early Bond girls and sort of cowers in the corner, unfortunately. And Bond throws the thug into the bathtub, flings an electric heater into the bath, and it electrocutes him. And then we get another of the... uh, The staple of the series. Yes. The after-death puns. Shocking. Shocking. Positively shocking. I I always thought, oh, you overdid it. Whenever I heard that, should have left it at shocking, but that must have brought the house down in 1964, you know? Yeah. And then that big brassy John Barry opening theme starts. Yeah. Shirley Bassey's vocals, and I think straight away the audience are probably relaxing into their seat going, all right, you've won me over. I I feel utterly confident going forward. This is going to be a bit of fun, isn't it? So the title sequence plays out with the second of Robert Brown John's title sequences that he did. Yeah. And although Morris Binder gets a lot of the credit, I think, for the title sequences and those trademark elements, I think Brown John deserves a lot of the credit too. Yeah, he often goes unnoticed. He was the first to project images onto the bodies of women. Yeah. There's something really mesmerising about it. and You know, putting a golf ball along the girl's arm and down into her <laughs> cleavage. It's just got... It's tongue so firmly in its cheek the yeah, whole way yeah. through that it automatically turns off a part of your brain that's kind of cynical and yeah. judgmental. Mm. You know, you don't even realise it's done it, but by the end of the title sequence, you're kind of perfectly attuned and ready for the film that you're about to watch. Yeah, yeah. It opens up, and it's a very different film already to From Russia With Love yeah. that had those dark, brooding locations. Yeah. We open up on a bright, sunny Miami beach. Yeah. We meet Bond. He's getting a massage from Dink. From Dink. And he's actually heard before he's seen by Felix Leiter, who's looking for him. And this is the second appearance of Felix Leiter and the second actor to play him. Yes. Uh, and we talked about this briefly in Doctor No we as did, well. We did, yeah. And we also hinted that we might end up doing an episode about Felix Leiter. And this... It's a very different incarnation. It's a very different incarnation, yeah. Obviously, we see them together. They obviously recognise each other and are very pally, but don't get the same chemistry as Jack Lord and Connery had. And I think that might have something to do with the difference in age, maybe? It's very interesting you should say that. Because they're probably the same age. The actor who plays Felix in Goldfinger, whose name I always struggle with, I'm going to go with Keck. Sec. 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 Kess. Sess. Linda. We'll set Linda. Mr. Linda. Mr. Linda. He's actually younger than Jack Lord. Really? 
Wow. So if Jack Lord had reprised his role, yeah. he, he'd have been older. They were actually, in their respective films, almost exactly the same age. I did not know that. <laughs> but you're right, he does come across more avuncular. Yeah. And perhaps it's just they wanted someone slightly less cool and... and comparable to Bond. In, yeah, in, I, I think the cool factor is definitely not present in this one for Felix. Well, Lange. interestingly, if you think in terms of the next couple of lighters that we got, yeah. Rick Van Nutter yep. in Thunderball, and then we got Norman Burton in Diamonds Are Forever, yeah. and then David Hedison Live and Let Die. So what it seems to me is that Terence Young liked them young and cool, yep. and Guy Hamilton liked them older and more avuncular and yeah, yeah. crotchety. Yeah. And so I think that may be why they change back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Just personal taste of the director. Mm-hmm. I think it's a warm portrayal. It's not by any means the worst in actual fact. If Felix had always been like that, I don't think we'd have any problem with it. I think it's just a bit jarring when you go from Doctor No to yeah. Goldfinger. And then they start to discuss the plan. They set up the idea that Goldfinger is someone they've been watching and that he's due to play cards any moment. And then the man himself appears. I love his introduction. He looks so kind of uh, unlike the Bond villains of the last two films. Yeah. If you think back to the enigmatic, composed Doctor No, or, you know, the muscular Grant, and just the kind of dangerous sense that you get from Blofeld and Kronstein and Kleb. Yeah. And then in walks this kind of this is the sort of guy that you'd expect just to find sunbathing by the pool on any yeah. <laughs> European package holiday you could go on, you know? It's just He doesn't look villainous, per se. Uh, it's more kind of thuggish and brutish, but it's certainly a refreshing change. Yeah, I think that's what's think. quite nice about when you compare him to previous Bond villains up to this point. That card scene is great. He's instantly suspicious to anyone watching the film. It's a wonder that his card partner doesn't pick up on any of it. So then he has his uh, little bit of fun with Goldfinger, and saying, uh, essentially, he just threatens Goldfinger with telling the police about him, which you can't really imagine scaring off Doctor No or or Blofeld or any. Uh, yeah, and I think that's kind of emphasizes the fact that this is a very different villain. Yeah. that we're dealing with. I hear this, Goldfinger. Your luck has just changed. I doubt very much if the Miami Beach police would take kindly to what you're doing. Nod your head if you agree. Nod. So imagine you're Mr. Simmons sitting opposite Goldfinger at the card table. What do you think when you just see him kind of nodding like a maniac? <laughs> Maybe it's a tell, and uh, it's like, oh, yes. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am winning. <laughs> The way that ends, he sort of says that ought to keep Goldfinger busy for a while. Then things take a turn. Bond goes to the fridge and gets some more champagne. Then we have the ominous first appearance in silhouette of... Oddjob. Of Oddjob. And then when Bond wakes up from being knocked out, we have one of the most enduring, iconic moments, not just in James Bond, but in cinema, Mm. of the golden girl. Uh, He wakes up and he sees Jill dead on the bed, covered in paint. Gold paint. So it's explained in the film that she died of skin suffocation, which we now know that Fleming was wrong about that. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen. But... 
I'd like to ask you your opinion on how do you think that happened? Um, I like to believe that um, Oddjob had killed her first and then covered her in paint. No, but if we take it as read of what the film tells us, that yeah. she died of skin suffocation, let's just say that that is a thing. Okay. That when you're completely covered, you can pass out and yeah, okay. die. Okay. How do you. Uh, could could do she that? not be knocked out first, but still alive? So unconscious. Okay, but. Covered in paint. And then the body dies. But you're glossing over the part I want to pick your brains about. Okay. <laughs> Who's covering her in paint? I presume odd job. What, with a paintbrush and a... Yeah, I can imagine him there. <laughs> Takes his hat off, gets his paint bucket, starts painting her. Job done. See you later. Bond's still knocked out. Yep. Okay. Uh, do you Bye. Know, I think it would take quite a while to paint someone from head to toe in gold paint, wouldn't it? <laughs> with a brush. Maybe. He brought with him a different bed sheet, threw the entire paint can over her. I mean, she wouldn't have died of skin suffocation if that was a real thing. She wouldn't have died of it unless every single inch of her was covered. I always picture the easiest way of doing that would be to dip her in something. Yeah. I just can't imagine how it happened, all in that time of Bond being unconscious. I just like to imagine this little 60-minute makeover team sort of swooping in. And <laughs> Maybe it was a 60-minute makeover Right, cover team. all the sheets, yeah. you know, like dozens of people standing her up. She's somehow either unconscious or just willingly going along with it. <laughs> to be honest, out of all the things that happen in this film, this is probably one of the least questioned things I question. Well, that's why we're here, James. Yes. We're here to dissect the undissectable and to uh, probe each other. <laughs> Sorry. You'll be using this Aston Martin DB5 with modifications. Now, pay attention, please. The Aston Martin DB5 is perhaps one of the most iconic things to come out of the film. We're using that phrase a lot, aren't we? Yeah, it's, and uh, I think um, when you're talking about Goldfinger, it's quite hard not to use that word. One thing I particularly like about this film is that it takes the time to sort of go on a little tangent... When Bond is introduced to Goldfinger at a golf club, mm. and it does take its time, it may not be to everyone's taste, this golf scene, because it's quite quiet, but I find it oddly kind of soothing and a nice change of pace. We've never seen a scene like this before or since, yeah. I think. And the payoff for it, to me, is is worth the wait. With the switching of the balls, yeah. Goldfinger in this scene sort of proves himself just an utter cowardly, snivelling cheat. <laughs> A spoiled child. To be honest, it reminds me a bit of Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I've never made that comparison before, but now we're talking about it. uh... That is how you'd imagine Trump would play golf, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Say, no, it didn't go over there. This is my ball. It's always been my ball. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Goldfinger knows Bond is the same person who ruined his cards game based on the fact that he's got the same voice? I think there's a little hint, or at least I read a little hint into it. When Goldfinger is introduced to Bond and he looks him over suspiciously and he says, how do you do? Mm. And Bond replies, how do you do? How do you do? You could perceive in his reaction a slight, if not 100% sure, at Mm. least a suspicion around him. Yeah. And I think as soon as he brings the gold into the equation as part of the bet on the game, Goldfinger knows obviously that it's no coincidence that he's here and he didn't come here to play golf. Mm -hmm. And he's so obsessed with gold and so easily put off his game that he misses a very easy putt when a bar of gold is dropped near him. So has Bond been carrying that massive bar of gold in his pocket? 
yeah. up until now. <laughs> Must have been. <laughs> it's worth £5,000. Uh. It's probably a lot more in today's yeah, money. Yeah. <laughs> it's played very nicely with that swap and the fact that Bond stands on the ball to stop Goldfinger from finding it, which you could argue is him not playing fair either, but it's all in... Uh, the spirit of karma, I think. <laughs> no, I think he was waiting to see what Goldfinger was going to do first. And obviously when they said they found the ball, then he's like, oh yeah, I'm stood on it. He's got that cheeky little caddy helping him out. Yeah, I love him. He's great. They could have made Bond just sort of caddy for himself, or they could have had a non-speaking role just tail behind them. Yeah. But it just shows a little minor character there just to inject a little bit of humour and actually surprising level of friendship with Bond yeah, despite yeah, yeah, not really yeah. knowing each other but it, it gives Bond someone to joke with yeah. and someone to share a, 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 you know moments of warmth with it's quite nice when they return back to the house and uh, Goldfinger is paid up and leaving we get a demonstration of uh, what would happen if Bond were to interfere in his business once more Yep, with odd job taking his hat off Yes. And decapitating a statue. It defies all laws of physics, I think. If you got a particularly lucky shot, you could slice someone's jugular with it. Yeah. I don't know if you could decapitate a statue or not. No, but then again, would you not, like, cut your hand every time you took it off your head? But I guess you would know if you were wearing a razor-sharp hat. Yeah. Too. Just not to kind of brush the rim of it with your finger. Mm. With a lot of these gadgets, it seems like they're asking for trouble. It seems like they're more likely to injure themselves. <laughs> but I guess it just reiterates the type of film that we're in here. Yeah, yeah. That a simple gun won't do. Mm. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. So Bond manages to escape from one of the most eye-watering scenes in the film. I thought you were going to use the word iconic again. <laughs> it's iconic, but it is also eye-watering. And I wouldn't like to be the person who cleans up that mess uh, no. afterwards. What a horrible way to go. Just slowly sliced in half. As bad as the, uh, the camel spike. Yes. <laughs> but Bond, luckily, has a little bit of information that he desperately kind of bargains with and mm. says that uh, he knows about Operation Grand Slam and that if he knows, then everyone else knows, mm. and his life is spared. He's knocked out by a tranquilizer gun and he wakes up on a uh, private jet. Yes, with Pussy Galore. Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. And she's instantly sassy and quipping with him and shooting down his attempts at flirtation. And there's a hint at that point that Pussy Galore is not interested in men. Yes, she says she's immune. I think that's probably as far as they felt they could make it explicit yeah. in the 60s in, in film. I don't think in the book there's any doubt about it. No, I mean, when I was young, I always presumed she was just immune to his charms. It always occurred to me that, oh, she likes women. Mm -hmm. Because there's other shots in the film that kind of... The way that Bond turns around and looks at... Miley. Yeah. You could read that in two ways. You could read it as Bond turning his attention to the only other woman on the plane. <laughs> or you could read it in a way of Bond putting two and two together to understand what Pussy Galore is implying there. And I think I always understood it and never batted an eyelid at it. Because as a child, you don't care. Love is love and prejudice Just... comes later yeah. from warped adult minds. <laughs> 
That guy Solo's going to wear a hole in his shoes. There's a point in the film, Goldfinger has assembled what seems to be members of various crime organisations and gangsters and investors in this plan. Yeah. It's very strange, that scene. They're all kind of messing around on the <laughs> bucking bronco yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, I'm going to move you. <laughs> They're talking non-stop. <laughs> this would be like, hey, wh- who turned out the light? What's with that trick pool table? Hey, well, who's the, fl- the floor's moving? Oh, what are the doors doing over there? It's a good impression. Go on, James. You look like you're about to say something. Oh, I-, I can never get the point of this scene. I know it's there to demonstrate the, the-, the gas that they use, but Mr. Solo mm-hmm. doesn't want a part of it. So he leaves and is ultimately killed. He's squished into a car. Yeah, but if they were going to kill him anyway, and then they kill everybody else as well as, what was the point? You know, I'd never thought of it like that, but you're right. There's no point. He doesn't even need to explain the plan. He could have just killed everyone right there and then instead of explaining what the plan was. I guess it is just purely for the benefit of the audience. Yes. But every time I see that, I think, what is the point of that? Hey, what's what's with the trick pool table? (laughs) What's with that trick pool table? Who built that giant model? And and why? (laughs) Why do you need a model that size to explain your plan? And all he does, really, and says, this is Fort Knox... What what he could have done in terms of the story is they could have just used the gas, keep those guys alive, explain the plan as normal, but just use the gas on Mr. Solo instead of. But then he wouldn't have had his pressing engagement. No, but he'd just scrap that entirely, wouldn't you? And then, uh, then that's at least a demonstration of the power of the, that nerve gas. Well, he didn't want to pay the people for their help. Yeah, that's true. Because they're not paying him, are they? They're no. providing things. Yeah. I'll just scrap those gangsters completely and just not have a minute. Hey, you can't scrap us! <laughs> Why are you trying to take us out of film, James? <laughs> I want to play pool on the pool table, but the pool table's moving! Hey, what's going on here? Hey, what is it? Hey. on the floor, my right? hey. I always found the actual operation in action to be a little bit too goofy for my tastes. Well, this is... My biggest problem with Goldfinger, out of everything that happens in the film, this is the thing that I really cannot get my head around. Go on. So the operation takes place. Bond has forced Pussy Galore to come round to see things his way. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's uncomfortable viewing now. Yeah, yeah it is, yeah. But uh, Pussy Galore changes the gas. Yeah. Now, this is what I don't get. Has the gas been changed to... Nothing, or has the gas been changed into something that's not lethal and just knocks people out temporarily? I've watched this film many times, and the only explanation is that everybody who gets knocked out by whatever comes out of those planes, everybody's faking it. Interesting. I was always under the impression that she'd swap the gas for a temporary knockout agent. Yes, which um, it would make sense until Felix Leiter... And everybody suddenly comes awake as soon as the bomb is activated. I assume that's because they wake up after a set amount of time because it wears off. First thing he does is like look at his watch, I think. I just feel like everybody wakes up at the same time. It's like, okay, the bomb's activated, let's go. The bomb's here. Let's get moving, Brigadier. Right, Jack, move in. Move in, commando tactics. It's a grey area, isn't it? Yeah. It certainly does look like they all spring back into action, like they maybe have just got a, presumably a radiation yeah, yeah. reader. They've not just woken up 
all at the same time and no. knew what they were the doing. The question is, when they were knocked out, were they really knocked out? Yeah. I always thought they were. It would make sense. I can't imagine the entire area being told, right, everyone pretend to get knocked out when these planes fly my over. My problem I kind of find a little bit too silly for my tastes is the scenes of all of the troops falling over. and yeah. Some of them slowly get down to the ground. Yeah. Some of them... It's pretty fast acting. That is the part, if any, that will always put me off watching the film if I think of it. As I'm putting the disc in, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, do I want to watch this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Um, so they obviously end up saving the day after Bond has dispatched odd job. Yep. And then he stops it with how many seconds to go, James? Well, it depends on which way you look at it. <laughs> obviously, it reads 007 seconds to go, which is a nice little nod. But uh, that was a... That was a later decision, I think. Cause yeah. Because the line is still in there where he says three more clicks. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> the finale, I think, always seems a little bit tacked on. Yeah, it doesn't... It would have been nice for Goldfinger to have been defeated at Fort Knox, I think. So Goldfinger comes out, he's got a new plan, he's angry. Yep, he wants revenge mm. on Bond. And he gets sucked out of a window, it's like half the size. Mm. I think it would have maybe been more satisfying for Goldfinger to meet his end at Fort Knox somehow in another sequence. I yeah. don't know, it's just... Um, it just feels rushed more than anything. It does. That, it kind of it, rushes to a finish scene, after yeah. that. And then uh, they do that ridiculous thing of saying, this is no time to be rescued. <laughs> it became a staple for, for later Bond films as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies takes it even further, I think. Just <laughs> No, no, let's just stay on this wreckage in the middle of the sea. Let's not get rescued. Fools. They just turn up later in a block of ice or something. Uh, so overall, I think Goldfinger's a great film. It's not one of Connery's best, in my opinion. I think it just... Uh, there's something about it that makes me... I don't know, makes it not rank in the top of my list. I know what you mean, and I kind of feel the same way. And I know this is going to outrage some people, but it became a film that subsequent films often tried to recreate, and that didn't always end up being the best thing for the for the franchise in my opinion i'd say the same thing there are sean connery bond films that i would personally rank higher it, it would appear somewhere in the middle if not even maybe the bottom half of the connery films yes. of the whole franchise for me it's in the middle it's safely in the middle for me it's not that it's bad it's just it, it automatically gets shifted down a little bit when when i think of well no which which films would i put on before goldfinger yeah and there's quite a lot of them to be honest but also, if you want to sort of follow the plot of the Spectre storyline... You could quite easily skip Goldfinger. You could skip Goldfinger and do Doctor No from Russia with Love, Straight Thunderball. It, and because of that, it stands as a little bit of an anomaly among Sean Connery's films. Yeah. And it's whether you embrace that as being, yes, it stands above them all, mm -hmm. or if you think, actually, it kind of just stands to one side. Yeah. I'll visit it every now and then, but I don't feel inclined to that often. <laughs> But we're probably wrong if we were to go by popular consensus. What do you think of Goldfinger? Let us know in the comments. I don't know what you thought about this episode, James, but I actually found it surprisingly difficult to dissect the film. And even though we've both said it's not our favourites, it's kind of untouchable. It's yeah, I think it's very... It it, I think it just depends on your personal preference more than anything else with Goldfinger. But it seems so kind of impervious to criticism that 
I can't pinpoint the reasons why beyond it's just not my favourite. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll leave that there for our discussion on Goldfinger. Yep. And you know what's coming up next, James? Games with James. Games with James. James, this is going to be a tough one. Great. Like the others weren't tough in previous ones. This is called the Reverse Words Game. Oh, God. <laughs> so you're going to tell me, I don't know, words in a different order? I might even join in with you on this one. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play you some clips that I've recorded myself of phrases from the James Bond series, and they are played backwards. Okay. And what you've got to do... Is just figure out what film they're from. No, you've got to say them. Okay. What I want you to do is to mimic the sound of these phrases said backwards so that we will then take your recording and turn it round... And see if it sounds the same. And see if it works. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Mart Mish. Mart Meenen. Shall I do one just as well? Nobs Mish. Nobs Meenen. Nobs Mitch. Nobs Meenen. Oh, no. Okay. This is the second one. Why miss me on? Evek emekerson. No Lost at the end there. I don't think we're going to recognise any of these. Miss non. Mukish. It's non. Nikish. Let's move on. Oh, I'm not going to be able to do that one. Flipping it. Gonna have to try. I don't know that one. I can't say that. Give me, give me a try. And the last one. Sounds German. You look really stressed out and angry, James. I cannot pronounce what they're saying, let alone remember it. Right, we'll stop there. We've got to turn these clips around yep. and have a listen. Okay. Okay, so I've now taken those recordings that we just did and I've reversed them in the computer and I'm going to play some of them back to you, okay? Mm-hmm. This was uh, clip number one that I gave you. This is what it should have sounded like. The name's Bond. James Bond. And this is what you sounded like. Oh, God. My name's Tom. She's Tom. You gotta sound Welsh. Jim Tom. <laughs> Hello, Jim Tom. Do you want to hear my version of it? Go for it. Bet yours is perfect. I, d- I don't think it is. Name's Bond. Name's Bond. That was the easier of the yeah. ones that we've read, though. Okay, let's see the second one. Should we hear what that should sound forwards? Yep. 007. License to kill. Okay. Should we hear what you sound like? Oh, no. Not sick of me, Kevin. 
My name's Simpkeal. That sounds like I was talking to someone called Kevin. Nice to meet you, Kevin. I've got a cow. Nice to meet you, Kevin. My name's Simpkeal. What was yours like? Mine was... Mason sit down. There's elements there, isn't it? Mason, sit down. Uh, hello, uh, welcome to the hotel. Uh, can I take your name? Nimstam. Shimstam. Okay, uh, and do you have a code name? Kevin. Kevin. My code name's Kevin. My code name's Kevin. Yep. Moving on. This is the next one. That's on. Yes. Do you want to know what that sounds for? Go on. Shaken, not stirred. See, I would have said shaken, not stirred for another one, but I didn't think it would be that one. Right, okay. So, how would you like your, your martini? Shaken, monsoon. Hey, you got the word shaken in there. Yeah, yeah. You look impressed. Yeah, that's all right. I'm happy with that. Shaken, monsoon. Uh, and what about you, sir? How would you like your drink? Shaken, monster. Monster. That sounds like you've already had a few drinks, to be honest. Shaken. Monster. No, monster. The other guy stirred my drink, but I don't want it to be stirred. I want it to be shaken. <laughs> okay. The next one. Any ideas? No, Mr. Bond. I was going to say I that. expect you to die. How are you feeling confidence-wise about this one? Not very. Do you expect me to talk? No, it's this one. Nice six six nine. Oh, see. <laughs> I'm clearly a uh, foreign Bond villain who uh, <laughs> doesn't understand English. I'll listen to mine. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. This music this night. Oh, well, he did the first half really well. No, Mr. Bond. No, Mr. Bond. Hey. <laughs> Next one? Yep. Oh, God. You want to hear what that sounds like? No. Keeping the British end up, sir. Okay. At the end of uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, yep. you would hear... Double seven, triple X. Bond, what do you think you're doing? I'm just cleaning up, sir. I'm just cleaning up, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. I'm just cleaning up, sir. What about mine? Bond, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the princess and up, sir. <laughs> you can almost hear it in there. <laughs> and the very last one. Oh, I feel that you listen up, I haven't said. Um, that was the hardest, wasn't it? It's one of the most uh, controversial, well-known lines of the series. This never happened to the other fella. <laughs> I'll put you out of your misery, James. I'm sorry for this. What? <laughs> I think we got this never in there, and then it all goes yeah, downhill. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, this is my version of that line. Fever, fever. And with that line, a whole code name theory was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, James. You well, look stressed, but did you yeah, enjoy? I, I, would, I would do it again. You would do it again? I would do it again. I'll get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's much more difficult than I thought, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's hard. Anyway, we'll leave it there, and we'll do another Games with James on the next episode. Yay. Games with James. So... 
that's it. Leave a comment below as to what you think of Goldfinger. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe on your platform of choice. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at BonJamCast. And on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash bonjam. We are on Spotify, just search Bon Jam Simon in the podcast section and click the link in the description to be taken to our YouTube channel where you'll find this episode, all the previous episodes, and maybe in the future a little bit of bonus content as well. So for now, that's all from me. And don't forget to keep spreading that jam. Spread that jam, everybody. And take care. Bye. You're not going to say cheerio. Cheerio. Thank you. (laughs) It's become your catchphrase. I didn't even (laughs) realise.